What a great morning it has been already. We don't get to see people make promises in public very often, do we? What a great morning it is to, to just behold you as you make professions of faith, as you make promises. It's awesome. Uh, our text today is going to come from Psalm 119 this morning, so I invite you to listen now for the word of the Lord. We're going to be in verses 1 through 2, and then we're going to jump down to verse 9 through 16. Happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Happy are those who keep his decrees, who seek him with their whole heart. And then verse 9, how can young people keep their way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Do not let me stray from your commandments. I treasure your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the ordinances of your mouth. I delight in the way of your decrees as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we are here seeking something, anything really, that might be a word from you. Speak to us that we might be filled with hope and courage to be your disciples for such a time as this. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you don't know, uh, today in the church calendar is a day that we celebrate All Saints Day. It's the day when we remember all those ordinary uh, men and women who, uh, through the ages, have faithfully served God by living holy lives. And it's a reminder to us that we are part of, of one uh, continuing, living communion of saints. Reminded that uh, God was with the faithful of the past, we are assured, we're assured on a day like today that God is with us even now. And as part of that celebration of all saints in our traditional services, we, we honor the memory of those saints who have died in the last year. We do this every, every year. And in this service, uh, we, welcome, we welcome new saints into our community through, through baptism and, and through confessions of faith. And if you're new here, or if you're just visiting, we are in a, a sermon series right now where we are exploring different questions that Scripture poses to us. And I think that this is the perfect day to consider the question that the psalmist poses here, because there's no way, there's absolutely no way that we can answer this question uh, by ourselves. This is a question that we can only answer as we, uh, well, it's, it's a question we can only answer well by being part of such a rich community. And the question, if you missed it, was at the beginning of verse 9. How can young people keep their way pure? Many of us know Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you know that name, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, we, we know him as the, the, the martyr uh, theologian, the German pastor who resisted the Nazi regime, uh, who trained uh, pastors for the confessing church in clandestine seminaries all across Germany. That's, that's the kind of Dietrich Bonhoeffer most of us know. But before he took on that role, did you know that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a youth pastor? That was his first job. And one of the most formative jobs that he, took, uh, that, that he had as a youth pastor was that he was called in to take over a, a very rambunctious confirmation class of all 50 boys. And the class was so out of control 
that Bonhoeffer's best friend and biographer, Eberhard Betke, uh, says later as he's writing Bonhoeffer's uh, uh, biography, he says that the minister who had been responsible for the class before Bonhoeffer took over was, quote, at the end of his tether and in fact died several weeks later. <laughs> Bonhoeffer wrote in a letter that the conference class was possibly to blame that they had quite literally harassed him. I'm quoting Bonhoeffer. They had quite literally harassed him to death. So I just want to take a moment and thank you. <laughs> Confirmance. Billy is alive and well this morning. That's a kindness that you gave him. But Bonhoeffer turned the class around with his unique gifts uh, of storytelling. He brought stories. He had spent a lot of time before that class in Harlem in New York, and he had all these stories, and he brought them to the, this class and to these young people. And he also paid attention to the lived experience of these young people in his care. Um, and I want to read to you an excerpt of his address to them on the day of their confirmation uh, that I hope rings true. And remember, this is almost 86 years later. When in the last days before your confirmation, I asked you many times what you hoped to hear in your confirmation address. And I often receive the answer. We want a serious warning, which we shall remember all our lives. And I can assure you that whoever well, listens well today will receive a warning or two by the way. But look, life itself gives us enough and too many serious warnings today. And so today I must not make your prospect for the future seem harder and darker than it already is. And I know that many of you know a great many of the, fa the hard facts of life. So today you are not to be given fear of life, but courage. And so today in the church we shall speak more than ever of hope. The hope that we have and which no one can take from you. Isn't that great? That's in English too, the translation. It's probably way better in German. I highly doubt that any of you were hoping for a serious warning today. But I imagine that some of you, some of you and some of you, might hear the words from the psalmist as a kind of warning. Psalm 119 is a psalm that focuses on, and it insists upon, really, strict adherence to the law, to the Torah. Something that, that we as modern Protestants, so far removed from that culture, we kind of recoil at the thought of that. We understand our relationship to God to be mediated by, by grace, not through strict adherence to the rules, right? So when we read this psalm, there's something kind of disturbing to us about it. But in Bonhoeffer's spirit, I want to draw out what is hopeful in this text for our lives. And by the way, this question, how can young people keep their way pure, is, is not just a question for young people to answer. It's not just a question for our confirmands to answer. It's a question for all of us. And it's not really about purity at all, or at least not how we typically think of purity. When we read this word purity, we tend to think of perfection, unblemished perfection. But that's not what the psalmist had in mind. Just a cursory reading through the psalms uh, will reveal how imperfect the psalmist knows human beings to be. So he's saying something else here. 
And if you paid attention to the, those opening verses of Psalm 119, they take the form of a beatitude. The psalmist tells us that the happy person is one who walks in the law of the Lord. The good life, essentially, we're told, is achieved through, through following this path that God has revealed through the law. So when he gets to this question, the psalmist, when he gets to this question, how can young people keep their way pure? What he is really asking is how a young person might stay on that path to the good life. How do they keep their way straight? How do they remain on that road? This year at uh, Yale University, you might have seen this, uh, approximately 1,200 students enrolled in the same class. It's the largest class in the history of the university, making up about a quarter, I think, of the entire student body. Do you know, do you know what the class was about? It's about happiness. The, the, the class was entitled Psychology and the Good Life. And its aim was to help young people find an answer to this question. What is the good life? What is the good life? The professor who taught the class thought that its popularity was due to the fact that so many of us, and perhaps maybe especially those, uh, those students who might end up at Yale, spend a lot of time living their lives without considering how we are living or to what end. <coughs> Excuse me. How would you answer that question? What is the good life? Is it purpose? Is it uh, success? Is it relationships, healthy relationships? Is it, um, is it service? Maybe it's doing what you love. That's the good life. Maybe it's having enough, excuse me, <coughs> discretionary time or money to, to be able to travel or to be able to spend as much time as possible with the people that you care about. Maybe that's the good life. We might say that the psalmist way of answering this question is captured by his confession in verse 10. Did you catch it? He says, with my whole heart, I seek you. Two things stick out from this confession that I think we should consider as we try to maybe answer this question for ourselves. First, the, the psalmist thinks that the good life points beyond itself. Points beyond itself. That's what it means to seek God with our lives. St. Augustine famously wrote that we are created by God for a relationship with God, and that fundamentally we're going to be restless creatures until we figure out that that is the point of our lives. The fact is that if you try to make anything else the ultimate point of your life, you will only end up dissatisfied. That restlessness will, will remain. You try to make money the point of your life, you will never have enough. Try to make power the point of your life, you will end up an incredibly insecure human being. You try to make success being seen as capable or smart the point of your life, you will always feel like perhaps you are a fraud. Make pleasure the point of your life. One day you will find that you are bored, empty, and ultimately disappointed. Thomas Merton wrote that people may spend their whole lives climbing the ladder of success only to find that once they reach the top, that the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. Isn't that a great way of putting that? The ladder is leaning against the, long, the wrong wall. And I think of it, if we're going to experience the good life, 
probably a good idea to ask ourselves from time to time what wall our ladder is leaning against. The second thing that sticks out from this confession to me is this practice of wholeheartedness. The good life is an undivided life. An undivided life. I had the privilege uh, this last year of actually mentoring one of our confirmation students. And one of the things that Billy, I think, brilliantly asked us to do was to take those five questions that you heard them respond to and to use them as a point of discussion, to talk about them, to flesh them out. What does this mean? How are you able to, to answer this question faithfully? And during one of our meetings, we arrived at this question, this, this fifth question. The question was, will you be a faithful member of this congregation, giving of yourself in every way, and will you seek the fellowship of the church wherever you may be? I asked him, what does that mean? Can you summarize that for me? And he took a moment. And then he said he thought that it meant to bring your whole self. Thought that it meant to bring your whole self. And it struck me. Isn't that... Isn't that how you want your faith to be? Don't you want to be able to bring your whole self to your faith? It's, it's what I want. I want to be able to bring my entire self in service of God. I, I don't want it to be true for only parts of my life, but for all of my life. Even for those parts, maybe most especially for those parts that are so desperately in need of transformation. To bring your whole self. Some of you might be thinking, you know, this sounds... This feels like a trick. It sounds a lot like effort, a lot of effort. It sounds a lot like the rules, the strict adherence to the law. Isn't the whole point of grace that our efforts are entirely unworthy anyway? It's a good question. It's a fair question. It's a question we should ask, actually, a lot. Maybe something I heard Dallas Willard say years ago will help provide some clarity. He, he said that grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. His point is that without action, we're not going to get very far in our lives. Right? Human beings act. It's fundamentally what we do. We act. I don't know any version of the good life that doesn't require some action, doesn't require some movement on our part. Recall what Bonhoeffer told his confirmation class. Today, you are not to be given fear of life, but courage. And so today in the church, we shall speak more than ever of hope. It's quite the task, isn't it? The hope tucked into these verses from the Psalms is that God really does invite us into a life worth living. He really does. And the good news, which I think we can choose to believe today, is that the God who created us for this life, who meets us where we are, wherever we are, the God who forgives us, the God who shows us mercy when we fail, this is the same God who will indeed supply this courage to live it out. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy God, be gracious to us as we seek you with our whole hearts. That's what's on offer here today. That we might find the life that you have for us. 
We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who is our example in all things. Amen.